Now, this morning, I am going to, I guess, continue from last week. I had not at that time thought I would do so, but because of some of the response of last Sunday's message, oh, nevertheless, the big word in the Bible that is there over and over again and why it is there and when you master why it is there, you realize that it matters not what you're walking through today. Nevertheless, it can be different for you. If you are born again, if you today, as those did last week, trust Jesus as your Savior, this is the first day of the rest of your life, and it matters not what is in your past. It matters not what you're going through. The Bible says, nevertheless, I will save you. Nevertheless, I will walk with you. I will comfort you. I will strengthen you. I will provide for you. I will meet your needs according to my riches, the Lord says to us. And so today, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to read a short passage from verses 3 through 7. And I want to remind all of us that we're here today for a purpose. It might have surprised some folks we came into this world. Your mother might have been surprised. Your daddy might have been surprised, but God wasn't surprised. He had planned your time, and it'll be a brief time, on this earth. And he made you one of a kind for a mission. Now, some find that mission, but most do not. Because there's so many things coming after you that it's very easy to get on what looks good. And then if it doesn't work and you fall off, get on something else that looks good. And then you fall off and you keep going back and forth because you have never gotten a hold of anything that is everlasting, that is eternal, that never changes. And the Bible tries to make this clear to us. And at times, it's good to go back and hear some of those stories, not because they're good stories, but because they have a powerful teaching. And so let's just pick up on one of those. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to these words, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able, now, now get this sentence, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that you are partakers of the suffering. So shall you also be of the consolation. Could I just sum it up? That scripture says, whatever you're going through, Nevertheless, you can be comforted. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. Nevertheless, you can have a brand new life. And you don't have to go and borrow it. You don't have to put it on a payment plan. You don't have to put it on, on your credit card. It's a free gift that is offered to us by the Lord 
Jesus Christ. One other scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Just a couple of verses. Verses 5 and 6. For when we were come unto Macedonia, Paul speaking now to the church at, at Corinth, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings. Within were fears. And look at verse 6. Nevertheless, God that comforts those that are cast down will comfort us by the coming of Titus. And Titus, as I'll show you in just a moment, was one that God sent to comfort the Apostle Paul. What he was saying is, in my worst moment, God showed up. Now, he didn't come back to this earth again, but what he did was he sent one of his kids, one of his disciples, to minister to that person that needed comforting. You may be sitting here today or watching or listening, and you need comforting today. You need something bigger than you, or maybe bigger than anything you've ever seen or heard of. Something that can come upon you knowing all the facts and can come and bring you today a peace that passes all understanding. A salvation that's not a temporary salvation. It's not a limited warranty or a limited guarantee. It is forever and forever and forever and forever. Jesus suffered for others. And as you'll see in the message today, sometimes Christians suffer for others. Sometimes we give up some things in order to bless somebody else. Sometimes we share what we have and are so proud of with somebody that has a real need in their life. You see, as he is, so we're to be in this life. And so as Jesus needed comforting, even in his darkest moments on the cross, God showed up in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it is our responsibility to realize that when people are in darkness, they need to be brought to the light. Jesus is the light of the world, but we're the ones that help them get to the light. We lead them out of darkness to his marvelous light. It should be, I want to emphasize, should be that all of us have a walk with God if we know God. That if others do follow us, they're going to get to Jesus. Because that's what we're all about. We want to point people to Jesus Christ. This epistle here in 2 Corinthians is one of the most pain-filled uh, books of all the Bible and stories and situations. As we read this epistle and get to that verse 6 when it's just about I can't go any further and there's that word, nevertheless, God who comforts those that are cast down comfort us. He is the God of all comfort. He is the God of all power. He is the God that has all answers. He is the God that never sleeps. He is the God that is able to even forgive sin. When this was written, Paul, who at one time was a moving young man going to great claim in the world, 
was knocked down by the power of the Holy Spirit, and his whole life changed. And from being a magnificent success in the world, he was knocked to his knees and had to start over again. And along that journey, Satan, knowing the power that was possible to flow through Paul, began to attack him on every side. Everywhere he went, it was another blow, another knockdown, another situation that seemed to have no hope. But in the midst of that, Titus shows up, and I don't have time to go into detail, but Titus shows up as being one of those who was of major impact on his life. All of the accusations that people made against Apostle Paul were true of his old life. He murdered Christians. He assassinated Christians. And yet God, through his power, changed his life. And let him come from the pits to the pinnacles of the Christian faith. But he still got discouraged. I don't care who your favorite Christian is, who's the most godly person you ever know. Let me tell you something. They spent a lot of time in the valley. Oh, they may have a good smile. They may know what to say to you. How things going? Oh, everything's just fine. He's just lovely. He's just wonderful. Oh, God is good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And as soon as you get out of sight, they're bawling like a baby. Wheels have come off. They don't understand. And for any of us that are believers to believe that just because we're saved, we'll never have a problem. We'll never have a worry. We'll never have any sickness. Only way God make us, let us get sick would be he don't like us. And we've messed up. So he's going to punish us. That's not the teaching of the Scripture. I don't know what the accusations would be against you. I can think of the accusations that could be brought against me by holy God. But here's what I do know. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. You diagnose the problem, I know the cure. And I don't have to go to the pharmacy and talk about all this available for a painkiller. Man, we, we take those pills by the billions. But the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. He washes us white as snow. He takes those that are fallen and lifts them up. And those that are hopeless and helpless and changes their life dramatically. Paul suffered pain of every kind in his heart, in his body, and in his mind. And all of that just kept hitting him and kept hitting him and kept hitting him. And in the midst of all of that, there comes an answer. If you go through the book of Corinthians, here's some words you'll find. This is his epitaph. These words are used. Affliction, anguish, beatings, distresses, fastings, fightings, labors, perils, persecutions, sorrows, stripes, sufferings, tears, tumults, weaknesses, and there are more. You think you got problems? Look at his problem. Look what he was going through, and yet we know how it ends. You see, if you've got a problem today, you don't know yet how it's going to end as far as the details. But you know what? Nevertheless, even though I don't know the details, I know we win. I know there'll be a time when nobody can pronounce us dead. I know there'll be a time when we don't have to get, go to the doctor and have a test run 
and he'd tell us, I got bad news for you. When we draw our last breath, we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord and everything. Good news, good news, good news, good news. And that perfect person that you wished you had married will be uh, everywhere. Perfect ones everywhere. Cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Let me make a statement to you. To be sure the Holy Spirit is the comforter and that we that are his children are his vessels, God came up with a way to get us all together. God distributed all these spiritual gifts. He, he distributed all these different kinds of personalities. Tall ones, short ones, big ones, little ones, red, yellow, black, and white. He put it all together and he empowered all of us and then he brought us together. And he came up with a name for our family. I bet you know what it is. When I tell you, you'll know. It's called church. The church is the body of Christ. There's not anything that we go through that the body of Christ has not been through. And we win. We win. We're not brought together, listen to me, we're not brought together to sing songs. When we sing songs, we praise Him. That's what we're brought together to do. We're here to worship Him. We're not here to meet new people so that we can socialize with a new bunch. We're here for Him. The church that tries to get people to come and join and be a part so that they can have greater fellowship and be with those of their age group or their background or the color of their skin or whatever, they're running down a street that's going to lead off of a cliff. The only thing that will hold the church together is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is His church. And as long as His church does what He wants His church to do, He will bless it. But when it starts existing for self and for each other, it will fall. No wonder, no wonder that every magazine or article you pick up will tell you the attendance of churches in America are drastically plummeting. Whatever they're doing, it ain't working. You say, well, I know a church in No Hope and No Hope wherever, and they're just doing great. They're just packing them out. God's not looking for a church to pack them out. He's looking for a church that will represent him. He's not looking for a bunch of attenders. He's looking for some servants. He's not looking for a bunch of takers and will take everything you got to offer. He's looking for a bunch of givers that will spread the gospel around the world. And when a church, when half of their role never come and never give one penny to the church, that's not a church, or at least they're not a part of it. There are those that keep things going. But let me tell you something. Don't you ever forget this. The church is the bride and the body of Christ. It is here for his glory and for his purpose. And there's a lot of things churches are doing today, and God never called us to do that. He came to seek and to save those which are lost. Everything we do at Harvey, when we were helping in all of these houses, let me tell you something, people were hearing about Jesus. 
They knew as you folks prayed, a thousand of you, before you went in those homes, you prayed that God would bless your visit there. And he has blessed your visit there. And many have come to know what church really is all about and what living proof of a loving God to a watching world means and what a church is. It is not a gathering where they sing your songs and you meet the kind of people you're looking for and do the things you enjoy doing. That is not a church. Nevertheless, God still loves you. God still loves me. But when I'm wrong and where I'm wrong, I need to get right. Where I'm thinking wrongly, I need to start thinking rightly. And the same thing is true of you. And so when we come into this moment of frustration where all of those of us that lead in the organized church know that the attendance is falling off throughout our land, maybe the church isn't doing what it ought to be doing in our land. But the Bible says the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. The Lord, God, the Father responds to those that take up their cross and follow Jesus and become servants to a lost and a dying world. We thank God that our, I believe it's 21 people have gotten back from Africa. I haven't seen any of them. I think they're still asleep, but they all got back safely. But wouldn't you like to be a member of a church with 21,000 members that have 2,100 being on a mission trip this week somewhere in the world? Would that sound any better to you? I think it would. Some of you, if somebody says we're going to have a mission trip, you just start getting on your phone and saying, well, let me, until he gets back on something important, I'm just going to play games. But you know what? We're here to go to the world. That's the reason I'm so proud of our church. and not a mega church in America that gives to missions what this church gives percentage-wise because that's what we're here for, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it starts at home. The great thrill that I have of being a pastor in the same place for over half a century is that I look out at many of you, and a lot of you right down here on the front row, I can remember when you were as lost as lost could be, and now you're the faithful leaders of this church. That's what Jesus does. Church programs don't do that, but Jesus does that. The blood does that. Again, Paul was beaten, afflicted, persecuted, suffered, and weak, but nevertheless, he found comfort in God. A good question might be, talking about Paul and Titus, the question is asked, uh, well, was it God or was it uh, Titus? that comforted Paul. You know what the answer to that is? Yes. Yes. It was both. See, we wanted God to do it all. And God says, as I am, so you're to be in this world. That's called church. Where are you serving? Where are you serving? Well, I just don't have time. Got 10 minutes? A week? I bet we could find something for you. Yeah. Or are you going to just take that route of the 90% plus? I will give nothing. I will do nothing. I will attend. If I like it, I'll come. If somebody gets my seat, I won't come back. And here we go. Or do you take that point? You know what? 
I just can't wait to get with my believer and friends and see what God does. You know, the church of Jesus Christ does not scold the widow that is grieving over the passing of her husband. They do not dismiss it lightly. They just weep with them. That's the reason we have a big ministry to widows. I called one of our widows this morning, 80 years old. Guess what? She's here right now. I think. If not, she'll be in the next service. That's what, that's what it's all about, folks. It's about ministering to people that are going through the valleys. And the church is not being the church to tell people that are hurting, you shouldn't hurt like that. If you love God, you shouldn't be hurting like that. You need to suck it up. You need to act right. If you're a Christian, why are you crying? For the same reason Jesus wept. That's the reason you're crying. And the church doesn't come to shame you. It comes to comfort you. And many times can say, I know exactly how you feel because I have been down that road. And because we go down those tough roads, we are better equipped to represent Jesus to a hurting world. When we've experienced it, and those of you that hurt the most and have used that hurt to back away the farthest from the church and not get involved because I'm not good enough, I, I wouldn't have these problems if I was living for God. And there's people down there that are a whole lot better than me. No, there's not. No, there's not. There's nobody better you than something that will come to the ministry of the church. Nevertheless, 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 whatever's happened to you, nevertheless, I still got a plan for you. I still need you. I want you to come and be a part of my family. When people hurt, you know what we're to say to them? Nevertheless, we're here. We're here to help you. We are here. God is in us. That is our hope. When Jesus cannot come personally, the first thing he did was send the Holy Spirit. The next thing he does is to send us, filled with the Holy Spirit, to carry the message and the comfort and the ministry to the hurting ones. If God cares and we're his kids, listen to this. If God cares for people and we're his children, we will care for those people. You hear that? You understand that? If God cares and we're his children, we care. We care that people hear the gospel. We care that they're comforted. We care about all of these things. And that's the reason you hear about counseling ministries and retreat centers and journeys and all these kind of things. All these support groups that meet on Wednesday night for the drug addict, the alcoholic, the widow. It's a church. It's a church. It's a church. I can hear some people right now thinking if they hadn't said it to the person sitting beside them, when I tell you all the ministries this church has, and you know what they're going to say? I hear it every week, every week. I didn't know our church did that. Come on Wednesday night. You'll see. 
Get involved in a Bible study class. You'll see. No, you won't see just coming in from your car to your seat and back to your car and then to Libby's or wherever. But when you get involved, you'll see. And you'll see things happen. You'll be shocked that you're going to see. Because it's God at work. He's alive. And God in us is the hope of the church being the church. John Wesley said, I know of no holiness. John Wesley, founder of Methodism. He said, I know of no holiness save social holiness. Well, what does that mean? Here's the answer. We do not live out our piety in relationship with God alone. We live out our piety in relationship with God and with others. That's what it's all about. Some are real good here. They're not very good here. God says both. Both. No one else can test our sanctification like our family can and our close friends can. They just seem a way of knowing our weaknesses. But you know what the escape of most Christians are? Are you listening? Are you listening? If the person beside you is asleep, would you just punch him right now so you need to listen? Just a minute. Just to be real brief. When Jesus cannot come, he sends his comforter. That comforter is to be you. But here's the problem. Many Christians, are you ready? Get mad instead of compassionate. It's time for us to quit getting mad at Satan and his sins and sinners and get compassionate for sinners. Get broken for sinners. Not that we're better than anybody else. God help us to ever think like that. But to quit our pies looking down at people and saying, boy, I wish you was like me. And they say, well, that's the reason I don't want to be a Christian because I don't be like you. You stay mad all the time. I've seen Christians grow up, seen them when they were 20, and know them now when they're 60, and their whole countenance has changed. They're mad all the time. They don't like this. They don't like that. And if they can find two people that hadn't heard them, they'll tell them. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? But you know what? People that are serving, they don't do that. People that are giving don't do that. People that are compassionate, they don't do that. They just become living proof of a loving God to a watching world. I hope today that all of us can discover something before the day is over of how we can be more like Jesus. The holiness of Jesus is what really upset the church. It really upset the Jews. It really upset people. They didn't like him going over to Zacchaeus' house. They didn't like him forgiving a prostitute. He did, they didn't like that kind of stuff. You know, how you do that, you know? If you run for office, I'm voting against you. you. You don't vote on Jesus. He'll take the vote, and it'll be on us. And it'll be yes or no. Yes, you're my child, or no, you're not. I want to challenge you to read the Sermon on the Mount. Again, if you've already read it, and many of you have many times. And here's what I want you to do. I've done this, and I want you to do it. 
And that is to, it's in the fifth chapter of Matthew, by the way. I want you to try to discover how much of that sermon related to relational holiness. Relational holiness. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. Holiness. And you will see that that was the whole thrust of the Sermon on the Mount was to get us oriented to be who God wanted us to be and to do what God wanted us to do. That's what it was all about. And so we're able to pick it up and go with us. God was trying to teach us not only what we're to believe, but what we're to do. Not just what we believe. You say, I believe in giving, I just don't. I believe everybody ought to come to church. I just don't. I believe that everybody ought to read the Bible. I just don't. I believe everybody ought to love their neighbor, but I just don't. God says, well, you need to. And if you want to be effective, then you need to change. And you need to be as I am, so you're to be in this world. Even our giving, our giving should be seen in the light of human relationships. We give in order for people to know our Lord. Not only here, but around the world. Matthew 5, 23 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. You ready? First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift to the Lord. Have you gone to that step? Maybe the reason you don't give is because you haven't been reconciled to somebody, brother, sister, family, whatever. So I want you to think about that. The Bible never teaches us that we can be right with him and not be right with each other. You hear that, husband and wives? Did you hear that, those of you that work at the same company? Did you hear that, students? Did you hear that, school teachers? You have to get both. You can't be right with God and not be right with each other. You need to put your sins on the blood of Jesus and then pray for others that they will do the same thing. But to ignore them and go to your prayer room and just pray another prayer is not enough. You have to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. So, if you can handle one more nevertheless, and I can get it in in about two minutes. Ephesians 5.32 says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular... So love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Whoa, me. I wonder if that could be a problem with anybody. I wonder if there's a little hiccup there. Love your wife. Love your husband. So for a little audience participation to close, 
I want every married man to stand up that's in this building. If your wife is alive, I want you to stand up. Look at how old some of these folks are. Don't, well, I think we ought to clap almost, but that's all right. Forget that, all right? Are you ready, men? Okay, here's what you're to say when I count to three. Lord, we love you. Got that one? Lord, we love you. If you want to say, Lord, I love you, that's fine, okay? But Lord, we love you. Lord, I love you. Just say it that way. Lord, I love you. Are you ready? One, two, three. All right. You know what God's response is? Love your wife. You agree with that? Is that what the scripture says? Oh, I love you, Lord, but you're perfect. And my wife. We need to talk. Sit down, guys. Thank you. Married women, would you stand, please? Are you ready? Guess what? Your line is the same. You've had time to rehearse. <laughs> Lord, we love you, right? Lord, I love you. Ready? One, two, three. All right. May I speak for God? He says to you, love your husbands. Be seated. That's a trite thing, but it's a clear thing. Folks, we can't get it right here and be wrong here. Nevertheless, I know, I know, I know. You say, but Lord, preacher, my mate, my friend, my boss, my children, they're just not always lovable. <laughs> so you know what the answer is from the Lord? Are you? <laughs> Don't you hate it? Aren't you glad it's time to end? Because the preachers quit preaching and he started meddling, right? <laughs> but folks, what I want you to know, it's just that simple. If you love God, you can love those that you detest what they're doing. But you want to see them to change. And you don't get people to change by beating up on them. You get people to change by picking them up and loving them and presenting them to the Father. And when you nominate them, he elects them. He will accept them. That's the way he accepted us when you hear all the story when we get to heaven. We think we're saved because we were reared in the perfect home with the perfect parents and the perfect grandparents. No, we're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 